John Lower, Money Doctors, with us in studio. Good afternoon to you, John. Fantastic weather up here, and I'm sure it's the same down in Cork. Uh, Glorious blue skies. I'm looking at them. Very, very depressing. Um, but I'm, in fact, depressing I'm indoors, but I will be outdoors later on. I'll tell you, tell you a little bit more about that when we go off air. But you're doing your online money clinic, aren't you? That's right. Yes, immediately after this uh, broadcast, yeah, we're, we're going to do another hour, from one till two, online, live, uh, no net. This will be straight in there. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can, you can bring in your, uh, roll in your questions. I'll be very happy to answer them. Okay, lunchtime at newstalk.ie is our email address, 53106. If you drop them in by text, uh, we, we'll throw them into the system. But if you use the hashtag MoneyClick on, on the Twitter machine, as Vincent would call it, uh, that will get to John as well. We were talking about childcare and the grandparents, which obviously is a, a good way that some people have of keeping the cost down yeah. of their childcare. But on the back of what we learned about questions last week, uh, there's a lot of serious conversations to be had. And, and the cost concerns involved with having a child, going back to work, if you want to or if you don't want to go back to work there's so much to factor in I don't want to take the joy out of childhood but these are very important considerations Well the, the financial cost is always a consideration Jonathan but you know people don't really think about that when they're having the, the joy of children and you know we both got them ourselves uh, and as I mentioned before even the cost of producing a child from the time they're born to the time they leave third level is about 240,000 euro but if, if you know just referring to the news talk survey on, on the uh, countrywide childcare cost there recently a few weeks ago um, the average cost Jonathan around the country uh, for childcare is 162 euros a week uh, Dublin obviously is the most expensive uh, 222 euros while Wicklow believe it or not is the second at 220 um, that means for the person in Dublin they'd have to earn Jonathan something like 34,000 euro to justify uh, to, 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 to meet that uh, 222 euros a week so it's, it's not an easy choice and particularly where you have two or three children uh, the economies of scale mean that it's just nearly impossible for um, mothers generally uh, to consider actually you know, going back to work when it's not worth their while. John, where, how did we get to this pretty godforsaken point whereby it is so expensive uh, to have children looked after and th- this is the key point about how this is an industry that has effectively been privatised and mm. it's a profit making industry and, and somehow that managed to take hold about seven or eight years ago There are some very wealthy uh, childcare uh, owners <laughs> around the country but apart from that I think you, you mentioned it earlier you know the mums and dads have helped out considerably and that's really what's kept a lot of people going that they can uh, you know offset some of that cost with with the help of their parents and, and also maybe sisters and, and, and there's other things as well Jonathan I mean some of the mothers who decide to stay home because it's just not worth going out they can actually make more money by for instance getting three more children not their own and minding them for an extra 15,000 uh, a year tax free mm. Tax free. Tax free. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, there's a question about unpost. It's a very relevant one that came in from a listener called Sandra. Yeah. It says, "What are the real benefits with an unpost account? Is it worth uh, it for anything beyond other options?" Um, <laughs> news, if considering saving with them this week, because they've changed the rules, haven't they? They certainely have changed them. In fact, I'm sure we'll have a question on prize bonds at some stage because they've, <laughs> they, they've even reduced their uh, prize bond draw from a, a million a month to a million every two months, and they've also reduced down the 75 and the 150 down to 50 and 100 respectively. But I mean, even uh, they have reduced them and they have huge pressure from uh, the deposit takers, in particular the pillar banks, because what they want to do, Jonathan, is reduce them down to virtually nothing because 
you know, it's it's a form of, of saving to those banks if they can reduce the uh, deposits down to, you know, 1%. I mean, the current, even before the, the next round of cuts, the current 12-month fixed rate for Bank of Ireland is 1.9%. You know, you take uh, the dirt tax off that, you're left with 1.27%. Now take inflation of 1.3%, and it's actually costing you money to put money in there. So, <laughs> you, you, you know, you've got the, the, the state savings. And believe it or not, even though they reduced it, for instance, their three-year one is down to 4% tax-free from 7%. Uh, their five-year down from 15% down to 11%. But let's take that 11% and work it out because don't forget, that's tax-free. So grossed up, um, you know, with the dirt tax of 33% put on, um, it's 3.15%, Jonathan, every year for those five years. Still the best. And Still Next, but I, but I, I'm getting the distinct impression from you, John, that yep. you'd never be as blunt as to say <laughs> this out loud, but that the other boys were very upset that Unpost were bringing so much to the party and they had so little to bring themselves that they put pressure on. They have, yeah. They want a level playing surface. This is the problem. And it's still not level, Johnson, because even next year it's going to hurt more. Let's go back to that example of the five-year one. You've got 3.15%, okay, each year. Well, next year the PSI is going to kick in. This is still tax-free. So now you've got to add another 4%. So that rate now becomes 3.35%. Mm. So that's why, as I say, medium term, those products uh, from uh, state savings are actually still the better uh, than uh, what's on offer from the other deposit takers. Okay, so look, there's a lot to chew on there, Sandra. If you want to consider your options, an email came in saying, I need advice as to what course of action is best for me. I have two properties, both of which are in arrears, also negative equity. My salary is greatly reduced to what it was and I cannot maintain payments. I've been in contact with my bank over the last few years. Nothing really comes from that. I don't know to sell them and try and repay the balance over the next 20 years or so or to go insolvent here or in the UK. I would love to develop a plan and I need advice. So here's someone pretty deep in the hole wondering sure what are, they should do. Sure. And I completely empathise uh, with this uh, emailer and uh, the situation. But, you know, th- th- they're not alone. There's something like 870,000 uh, or 780,000, rather, mortgages, half of them in negative equity, Johnson. And while 11% are in arrears of three months or more, the true picture, I believe, is probably nearer 22 25%. But there is a reality. And in this uh, uh, emailer's case, he has arrears. Uh, he, he cannot make the capital repayments and the rental income would not be sufficient to repay the capital and pay all the costs. So what's the choices? My my belief is that the split mortgage is definitely going to come in. And this is where that emailer, for instance, looks at the property. He's got two choices. He's either goes, got to go this way or else sell them and take uh, you know whatever the deficit is going to be and see what the lender is going to do after it's been sold. But let's go back to the split mortgage. Split mortgage where... They look at the rent, you take out the uh, costs that are associated with including property tax, including the water charges even next year. And then with the surplus that's left, you divide that into the term that's left with for a capital and interest repayment. And that'll take care, Jonathan, of some portion of his debt. So that by the time the, the period ends of, of, the, of the loan, he will have that period amount paid off and the balance with the good wind and a fair uh, uh, kind of chance of getting the values back to some kind of uh, uh, decent uh, amount that he'll pay the balance at that point. But that element, the second part, is parked and generally it would be interest-free as well. Okay, so how does he go about doing that though? Because he's tried to talk to the banks and he says nothing's coming to that. 
Well, I think in this case, he needs, number one, to put in the plan. He needs to actually go and see somebody. He needs to start thumping tables and he needs to get, I mean, if they say no, don't forget, Jonathan, he has the ultimate uh, weapon, which is cancelling the direct debit and uh, just paying the interest. And then if the, the lender subsequently take him to court, then he can explain to the judge what his uh, idea was, what his, his goal was, and that the, the lender refused to listen to him. I think he might get some, okay. he might get some uh, you know, reaction. Okay. Uh, next question is from a listener who says, I will have my required service completed seven years prior to being able to retire. Can I stop making contributions? Is that a pension question? Well, uh, it is a pension. So assuming he started work at 18 and he's 58, he, he, he would have done 40 years. So uh, that's okay for the, uh, you know, the public sector. Some do not pay a pension contribution. Uh, bankers, for instance, have to work till they're 65. I mean, uh, I know some bankers who started at the age of 17 and they will have completed, you know, 48 years uh, by the time um, you know they're allowed to retire so it's a long time to be stuck in a bank (laughs) it is a long time but I would check with the employer the HR first and and ask uh, what does the contract state and I'd also seek agreement from that same employer before ordering your payroll department to stop contributions you know it's really um, you know they've employed by this they've been employed by this company for a long number of years so deserve some respect uh, my wife is self-employed, says our next listener, pays full PRSI. If she gets sick or needs surgery, can she claim sick benefits? She's self-employed. Well, as self-employed, you pay S-class PRSI contributions. This entitles your wife to a limited range of social insurance payments. They include, Jonathan, widows, widows uh, surviving civil partners, contributory pension, the guardian's payment, a contributory thing, uh, state pension, maternity benefit, adoptive benefit, uh, even the standard bereavement benefit. Um, and, you know, the rate uh, for this... This PSI by the class is 4% on all income uh, or 500 euros, whichever is the greater and exempt below 5,000 per But being sick, uh, unfortunately, the wife should have income protection and health insurance. She's not going to get, um, you know, uh, cover or any kind of social payment, social welfare payment for being sick, unfortunately. Okay, so in other words, she needs to take out an she extra needs policy. To, she yeah, she, uh, okay. uh, you know, health insurance or, or, or uh, an income protection would be, would be probably a better thing because it's more tax efficient. Next listener says, I have my savings SSIA with Canada Life paying mm. in 250 per month. It's worth 62 grand gross. How much tax will I pay? And does the company deduct tax or do I have to deduct tax in my annual return to revenue? Do you know, that's fantastic. That first of all, that, that person, um, the, the SSIA started, Jonathan, in 2002, finished in uh, May 2007. So that person's now six years later and has seen you know, global meltdown and still has it and has has uh, got, you know, 62,000. It's unbelievable because the maximum was 250 um, uh, euros a month. So if that person was still paying it for 11 years, that's 33,000. And compounded, uh, it, it is incredible uh, because the government, you know, added in 25%. So there's something like 22, 23,000 profit. I can't believe that. Because yeah. the, the maturity tax rate would be 36% if they had to pay it. Um, anyway, the main thing is that uh, the investment and the growth uh, is, is included in that tax deduction of 36%, which is 33%, which is the old dirt tax, plus 3% government tax. 
Okay, so that, hopefully that will answer your question. Uh, Barry has a question. He says, my wife is due in a few weeks with our first child. Good luck to that, Barry. Hope mm-hmm. all goes well. What are my entitlements with work? He's a man, <laughs> so therefore he doesn't have any. Would that be right? No, he's a cup of tea after hoovering, uh, tea and a snack after washing and ironing, an hour's break after meal preparation, setting the table, cleaning the same, washing and putting away the dishes. Uh, on a serious note, Jonathan, paternity leave, I think that's what he might be referring to. I'm not sure. Yep. Uh, it's an interesting one, this though, because on the 8th of March this year, the European Union parental leave regulation increased the amount of parental leave available to each parent per child from 14 weeks to 18 weeks. So ah, but you see, now, hang on, put in, put in the addendum that makes it all the more significant. <laughs> well, Do you get paid for no, your 14 to 18 no, there's, weeks? There's, there's no money. This is the point I'm going to make. But you, you can still in, you're still entitled to it, but you have to do it unpaid, unfortunately. There's no, uh, there's no way that uh, anybody's going to be paying you, unfortunately. So, but okay. you can, um, you, you know, and as I said, uh, isn't that the Shakespearean uh, term, Jonathan? Here's the rub. No, no um, uh, kind of uh, uh, employer will pay you. Uh, and yeah. there's no entitlement to social welfare payments either. So in other words, you can take it to can't sack you, but you don't get paid for it. So <laughs> exactly. that's probably a real, yes. that's a bit of a disincentive. Yes. And finally, last question. Tom yep. says, I'm applying uh, for our, for, we're applying for our first mortgage. I say variable, the wife says fixed. <laughs> Tell me what to say to her to convince her I'm right. I say potato and she says potato. Yeah, love that last line. It has to go down in the annals of marriage compatibility rules, I reckon. Tell me what to say to her to convince her I'm right. There's not a I, no, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the argument that Tom's <laughs> wife has but I think he has a point with the variable thing, doesn't well, he? Well, I mean, your wife would appear to be a very sensible, cautious and conservative lady, um, Tom, and, and she obviously wants security of knowing her monthly mortgage repayment remains constant. She has no worries on the, the volatility of her repayments. That's what she doesn't want. She doesn't want any worries about it. So, you know, in some respects, she's right and also he's right because if she wants stability in the repayment, then you go for a fixed rate. Now, for instance, I'll give you examples. AIB, standard variable rate, Johnson, is 4.64. The three-year fixed rate is 4.95. So that's a difference of 0.31%. Now, for, wow. for that stability, for her to have peace of mind going to bed every night, knowing that her mortgage is not going to change for the next three years, it might be worth uh, uh, taking on a fixed rate. So, okay. a, you know, that's the way it works. But, but again, marriage counselling and uh, money advice, that's, uh, <laughs> that's your, new, your new area. John Lowe, our money doctor, will be going in the online clinic. Uh, it's going to be up and running in about uh, 10 minutes' time. Yeah. Lunchtime at newstalk.ie if you want to get a question. And John, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Jonathan.